You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? It is, uh, like Betty said, uh, it is Palm Sunday, and um, such an important time in the life of the church. I just want to welcome you again here, uh, if you're in the room If you're also streaming online, thank you so much for joining us, Uh, wherever you're watching from, whether it's Traverse City area, uh, maybe it's downstate, maybe it's out of state. Uh, Just so thankful to have you uh, with us today. Um, I grew up in the church. Uh, My grandpa was a pastor, and Palm Sunday was this time where you dressed up a little bit, but not as much as you did when it was Easter, and you went and you would tell the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and palm branches and paving this way and people shouting, what were they shouting? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They thought that he was going to be their king, and so they welcomed them in. And so I would hear this story, and, and in my, old, my grandpa's old church, uh, we would sing hymns. And I'm telling you, there is something about hymns in church that just bring a sense of reverence and respect. And so this morning, I've asked uh, Bryce and Brian to sing a song, a hymn for us. It's a little different than we, what we normally do, but I've asked them to sing a, a hymn that just kind of takes me back to my childhood, but it also sets the scene for Palm Sunday. in the sky 
can fully bear that sigh, but downward bends their burning eye at mystery so bright. But downward bends their burning eye at mystery so bright. That take anybody back? We're just kind of finishing spring break. That takes me back to a spring break that I had when I was a little kid. Mom and dad took us to visit a family in Kentucky, uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. And for Palm Sunday, we went to this service. It was an old uh, man, it was an, a big old United Methodist church with the uh, um, huge organ in the front and the stained glass windows. And I remember it like yesterday, and we sang that song. When we, we, when we sang that song, there was like the organ was going. There's like a 4,000 person choir up front. I'm not really, but you know what I mean? Like it's just a ton of people. And um, is my brother here? I don't know if my brother's here. But um, I remember my aunt singing so loud, like I leaned forward in the, the pew. I leaned forward in the pew and I like looked at my brother like, what the heck? She can sing and she sings loud. I mean, it just takes me back to this Palm Sunday. Um, yeah. Palm Sunday. Crown him with many crowns. I wonder if the people that were welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. I wonder if this is kind of what they were singing, or it was kind of the, the vibe, like crown him. Like maybe they expected him to be their king. Maybe they, they anticipated that he was the Messiah. He was the one that was going to restore Israel to, the, to, the, to, the, to its heights, right? And it, it's just hard for me to wrap my head around this idea that in just five days, the Maybe songs of crown him turned into shouts of crucify him. I mean, that's just hard for me to, to wrap my head around. If you've been following recently or if you've been around or um, maybe, maybe you haven't been, we're in the middle of a series called Jesus Revealed and we're looking at some questions that people asked Jesus in his ministry. Like as Jesus had his ministry, there were, there were questions that kind of surfaced. And we were, were looking at these questions and, and we're trying to think about how these questions relate to our lives. Because a lot of times these questions that were asked of Jesus relate to our lives in our own experience. And the way Jesus answers these questions are incredibly uh, telling. And so I want you to, I want you to imagine something. Imagine that you're, you're one of Jesus' disciples. And imagine you're, you're on the streets and you're laying down palm branches because he's riding in on a... The whole town seems to be going nuts. Like, people are excited. People think he's their king. People are shouting, Hosanna, and, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like, it's just this scene. And... Not long after that, Jesus says something to you that freaks you out. Jesus says, uh, I'm not going to always be with you. 
This is what he says, actually, in, in John chapter 13. He says, my children, I will be with you only for a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Simon Peter asked, like, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Like all the hosannas, all the energy on the street is kind of gone from your mind because Jesus is suggesting that he is not going to be with them anymore, and they don't know what that means. And so this question that we're looking at today that the disciples asked Jesus, the question is, how do we know the way? Because they're going to be, they're going to be entering into a season where they have to follow Jesus in a different way than they ever followed him before. What does this mean? Around Palm Sunday, this, this uncertainty comes into their minds. This, their, their, their hearts are starting to be filled with anxiety. Like, Jesus, where are you going? And so this question is going to relate to you. If, if you've ever found yourself in a season of your life where you're a little bit uncertain about the future, where like you, you kind of know change or transition is coming, but you don't know what that means, and maybe you're a little unsettled about that. Um, we're going to dive into this more, and we're going to jump into this scripture. Um, but before we do, our, offer, our ushers are, are waiting for me. Um, so we're going to take a moment and uh, receive the offering. Um, hey, listen, uh, something that's interesting and super encouraging to me um, two Sundays ago, we had the highest attendance that we've had since COVID happened. And to me, that's exciting and that's telling, but what, what I also look at is the opportunity that we have with our K-Kids, the opportunity we have to pour into the next generation, the opportunity to continually walk with people and discover a life in Christ. And so um, I just want you to know that when you give, and as we receive the offering this morning, when you give, you are giving to something that is so much bigger. Um, the, the, the life impact that uh, we have collectively and the way that God uses this church is, just continually blows my mind. And so I just want to say thank you for giving. And if giving has never uh, become part of your journey, your spiritual journey, I just want to encourage you to prayerfully consider that. There's different ways you can give on the screen. Um, but I want to pray, and then uh, we'll receive our offering. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the way um, that you call us to be your church, uh, your presence in the world around us. Lord, I thank you for everybody who gives. Lord, I thank you for everyone who serves around here. Lord, I thank you for everyone who demonstrates your love to the community around us. And I just pray that you, um, you bless what we give, you bless um, our, 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 the ways we love, that you bless it and that you multiply it, you use it for your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, we did these fun things on Sunday afternoon. Um, I'm the oldest of seven. And at the time, there was four of us. And we would all pile in the car and uh, go on a Sunday drive. Anybody do that when they were kids? I don't know, 
I do know, I do know exactly what the goal was. My dad wanted a nap. And so he would sit in the passenger seat and mom would drive. And so the goal was for dad to take a nap. Uh, but there was another goal. The goal while dad was napping was me and my, my siblings were to instruct mom where to go because we wanted to get dad lost when he was sleeping. My dad was a human GPS. Like we could not get this guy lost. And so we'd take a left and we'd go down that road. We'd try to find like the, the sketchiest back road we could find. And he'd probably sleep for a half hour and uh, maybe longer. And we would, we would get to a point where we thought we were in the boondocks. And then he'd wake up, and I'm telling you, within seconds, he knew where we were. And this is the thing about dad sitting in the front seat. Like, if he wasn't there, we would stay lost. We wouldn't have, my, my mom's terrible at navigation. No, no offense, mom, if you're watching this. I shouldn't have said that that passionately. But... Without dad in the front seat, we would have been lost. He always knew how to find his way back home. I wonder if this is how the disciples felt about Jesus. Jesus was in some weird situations, surrounded by sick people, hungry people, sinners, the people that the religious wouldn't go near and Jesus always knew what to say. He always knew how to navigate the terrain. And so the thought of Jesus not being there with him, I wonder if it freaked them out. And so Jesus tells them, I'm going to leave, and I'm going to go. And like at the very time their heart is probably stirring and they're filled with anxiety and all this stuff. This is what he says in John 4, because this is where we're going to camp out today. This is what Jesus says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. Look at this next line. You know the, the way to the place I am going. I, I, this is just sidebar. This is what I love about Jesus is he acknowledges our anxiety. He acknowledges us when we have troubled hearts. Sometimes I don't, I don't know if... if we really think we can bring our troubled hearts to Jesus. Sometimes I think we put on a, a shiny version of ourselves, and we try to bring our shiny, like we want to get cleaned up, we want to get everything right before we come to Jesus. And Jesus, just time and time again with his disciples, he just acknowledges that they're human, they're frail, they're weak. And he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. And he's talking about preparing a place and a father's house has many rooms and he's, he's talking about these things and then at the end he says, you know the way to the place I am going. And I love what Thomas says next. And this is the question the disciples asked Jesus that I just really want to unpack a little bit today. 
Thomas says to him, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Because Jesus says, you know the way to the place I am going, and Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way to get there? So th- think about this. Again, three years. Jesus comes to the disciples before the three-year period, and he invites them. He says, follow me, and they left their families. They left their jobs, their careers. Like They left all this to go on this journey and follow Jesus. And every single day, they wake up, and they wonder, what kind of Jesus adventure am I going to go on today? And they laughed with him. They camped with him. They touched him. Like they, they, they were just hanging out with Jesus for three years. They were with him when he fed people. They were with him when he healed people. They were with him when he cared for the marginalized, the poor, the orphans, the widows. They were with him all along. They saw him do the, the, these amazing things. They were completely dependent on him. They probably soaked in every word. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. He talked about life. He talked about love. But he did it in such a pure way that wasn't tainted by the ugliness that came with religion. So Jesus is doing this. And now Jesus is saying that he's going to leave. And they probably can't fathom what it looks like to follow Jesus when Jesus isn't around Like, Jesus, can you just stay with us? Can we just keep things the way they are? Because they're neat and they're clean and we have things figured out. Like, it's nice, Jesus, when you're just with us all the time. Can't we just follow you in the ways that we always followed you? Can't things just stay the same? But we know things don't stay the same, do they? Like, we will all navigate seasons of change. And sometimes when we do, the Lord is going to feel incredibly near. But then sometimes when we navigate seasons of change or we go into different seasons, sometimes it's going to feel like, sometimes it does feel like, like God seems just more distant. And in reality, following Jesus into tomorrow isn't always going to look like the ways we followed him yesterday. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever gone through a season of change and maybe you you have this following Jesus thing figured out, but then maybe you face some kind of change or some kind of shift and you're not really sure of what it's gonna look like to follow him tomorrow. And I can't help but think that this is what the disciples are thinking. Like, they gave their life for him for three years and now the thought that he isn't gonna be around freaks them out. Their hearts are troubled, even though Jesus is telling them to not let their hearts be troubled. Can anybody relate with this, what the disciples may have been facing? Just the change, the the transition, the shift. You ever face seasons of, of change or transition in your own life? I think about... Um, Like once you get it figured out, then another transition comes. And once you get that figured out, get a little groove going on, a little rhythm, then it shifts again. Maybe you're, uh, you know, in junior high and you're a junior high kid and you're like, hey, I've 
you finally learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus in junior high, but guess what? You, you go out of junior high. Now you, you're worried about how, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in high school? So you're in ninth grade, 10th grade. Maybe you figure it out in 11th grade, and then you, you find a groove, and then you got it down when you're a senior, but then you're faced with, oh my gosh, what does it mean to follow Jesus in college or in trade school or in a job? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you have a job and, and, and you're, you're learning what it means to love your coworkers and you get, you get this down and then all of a sudden you transition jobs and you're faced with this uncertainty or anxiety. Like how do I live in this next season, in this next change? I just, I, just I, I want us to camp out at what Thomas might have been feeling in that moment. Following Jesus for three years and then the thought that he's not going to be there. How did that hit him? Or maybe, maybe you've, in your faith journey, maybe you've depended on someone else's leadership or someone else's influence. And maybe like, you know, in, in church circles, we use the, the kind of language like, oh, I, I, got, I went to church and I got fed. And so maybe there's certain people that God has placed in your life to feed you, but then maybe there's been shifts or transitions or that leader leaves or that small group disbands and, and maybe you don't have the same kind of influence that you had before and now you're faced with this reality. How do you follow Jesus without these influential people that God has placed in your life? Maybe it's a mentor that you had, or maybe it's a parent or a grandparent, and they poured into you and they taught you what it means to love Jesus, and, and then they're no longer there. Like, can, can things, you ever just, like, can things just stay the way they are? Like, do I have to face change, transition? And I, the question that I'm just thinking of and I want us to process as a church is what does it mean to follow Jesus tomorrow if tomorrow is different than yesterday? And here's the thing. Along with Thomas and the other disciples, we want to follow Jesus well tomorrow. We don't want to obsess about how we followed Jesus yesterday to the point where we fail to see how to follow him tomorrow. We don't want our faith to just be a habit or a routine or a tradition. We want to wake up with fresh faith and new excitement every single day for where God is calling us to love and serve the community around us. And I just think this is something to lean into what does it mean to follow Jesus tomorrow? What does it mean to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be God's presence, God's loving presence to our community? What does this mean tomorrow? Because it might look different than yesterday because it sure did for Thomas. And so in the midst of this question that Thomas asks Jesus, this uncertainty that's looming over his head, Jesus answers in really four ways. He gives three invitations to follow him, and then he makes a promise at the end, and all this is in John 14. You can read it for yourself. I'll have some of it on the screen. But this first thing that Jesus says, knowing the uncertainty they were facing, knowing the anxiety that's in their heart, this, the first thing is Jesus invites them to follow my way. Follow my way. He says, I am the way and the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Follow his way. You notice in what Jesus says here, the destination is God the Father. And when Jesus is talking, he's talking about being the way to God the Father. Scholars and theologians look and they think that what he's talking about here is this relationship, which makes sense because this is foundational to the Christian faith. Something is broken. Our relationship with God is somehow severed. This is the Christian, this is, this is the story, this is the narrative. Like God created, gave us free will, gave us choice. We chose something in opposition to God, and so we severed our relationship with God. You don't have to look far to look and see that there's brokenness in the world around us. And in the Christian faith, it suggests that that brokenness is actually embedded in our hearts. And so there's something in our relationship with God that needs to be restored. And here Jesus is saying, what needs to be restored is the relationship that we have with the Father and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's inviting us to follow his way, to have our relationship with God restored through him. I don't know if you pay attention to the news or pop culture, but there's a lot of people suggesting that there's a lot of different ways to God. I feel like I turn on the TV or I watch a show or something and I feel like there's like, it's almost like people are making up new approaches, making up new paths. And part of that's concerning because it's like self-help stuff. There's all kinds of different paths that, that are out there. But what Jesus is suggesting is no one comes to the Father except through me. And he's inviting us to have our relationship with God restored, like he is the restorer of that relationship. Our relationship with God is severed. He is the one who comes and restores. He is the way and the truth and the life. The second thing that he invites them to do is follow my words. He says, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing the work. Jesus is claiming that the words that he is speaking aren't just, he's not just making it up. It, this is like the words that come from God himself. And so as we, as we think about following Jesus into the next season, we look to follow his way because that's where our identity, our relationship with God is restored. And then we look to his wisdom, to his words. The disciples, for three years, I mean, they're sitting, the Sermon on the Mount, they're listening to the Beatitudes, they're listening to parables, they're listening to Jesus talk about a variety of things of life, about the kingdom of God. And he is inviting them to enter into the next season by listening and following his words. I, I don't know how many of you actually read this book, um, in all honesty, I, I go through seasons. There's some seasons where I read it a lot, and then there's some seasons that I read it less. And that's just been my journey. And, and, um, but this is, this is my 
uh, encouragement is when we talk about following Jesus' words, I just encourage you to, to get in this book every day if you can. Start in the book of John or start in a gospel and, and just soak in the words of Jesus. Like, what did he actually say? What did he actually do? What did he teach? What did his parables mean? And just invite the Holy Spirit to help you process and discern what that means for you in your life. But as we enter the next season of our life, as we think about being the church in, into tomorrow, I, I think it's like a really important thing that we ground ourselves in the words of Jesus where we don't allow the changing or the transitions or our culture around us to shape the way that we think and view the world. We, we actually think and view the world through the words of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Like, I just, I want... I'm a follower of Jesus. I want the words of Jesus to shape the way I view people, the way I handle conflict, the way I process and live out my marriage, the way I raise my kids. Like I just, there's so much life in the words and teachings of Jesus. And this is what I want to ground myself in. And this is what, this is what Jesus was teaching Thomas. He's saying, Thomas, you just walked with me for three years. You just heard me teach. You just heard me um, give parables. You, do, you heard me say all this stuff. Like, grab onto that as you go into the next season. The third thing that Jesus invites them to do is to follow my works. Follow my works. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater than these because I am going to the Father. Serving people, washing feet, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, including those who have been left out by society or culture or the community. Like over and over again, these are the things that Jesus did and now Thomas is faced with this reality. Jesus might not be around anymore and Jesus actually passes the baton to Thomas and the rest of the disciples and he says, continue to do this stuff and you'll go on to do even greater things than me. I mean, that's a crazy thought that we would go on as the church to do more than Jesus himself. But that's what he believed, and that's what he taught. And that's the kind of church I want to be, a church that doesn't just talk, but a church that is active, being active and present in the community around us, caring for the needs of, of those around us. Like, I, I just, I want to be a church where you, you look at a group of people and say, they follow Jesus, not by what they say, but by the way they live their lives. And my prayer is that we all would be committed to this. And so how do we do this? It seems like a big task, like follow my way, kind of talking about identity, follow my words, talking about Jesus' wisdom, follow my works, talking about the purpose and the mission of the church, the purpose and mission of all of our lives. How do we do this? And I love what he says next. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. 
the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Imagine Thomas hearing this. Faced with Jesus no longer being around, and Jesus is saying, there's going to be an advocate that's going to come to you, and it's going to be the spirit of truth. Jesus says, I will not leave you or abandon you. I won't leave you as an orphan. I will come to you, but I'll come to you in a different way. And we know this as the Holy Spirit, where it's the, 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 the spirit of Christ himself comes and dwells in us and empowers us to do the things that he is calling us to do. He gives us power to be the church, and so it's not us working, but it's Christ working in us. Three invitations and a promise. And I think the church now more than ever needs all four of those things. Where we follow the way of Jesus and we trust that he restores our relationship with the Father. Where we follow his words and his instructions as disciples of Jesus, gleaning on his wisdom, that we follow his works. And we continue to do the things that he did, the things that he taught. But we don't do this on our own strength. We don't do this because we wake up one day and we just, we just want to try really hard. We do this because we trust that he is filling us with his Holy Spirit that he is guiding us and giving us the power to be the kinds of people that he is calling us to be in the world. And so I don't know what kind of change or what kind of transition or what, what the season ahead looks like for you. Maybe you're going to a new school. Maybe you're facing a new job. Maybe you're facing retirement. Maybe there's just some kind of shift that's taking place. I would just encourage you, don't let your hearts be troubled. Look to Jesus and trust that he will fill you and be with you in ways that maybe he never was before. So let's pray together. Lord, I'm just, I'm excited about, I'm continually excited about what it means to be your church. What it, what it means to be your hands and your feet, your body, your loving presence in the world. And Lord, I just feel like we all face change in our lives. And I just, I relate with, with what Thomas must have been facing. This idea that tomorrow is going to somehow be different than yesterday. And in the way that you answered Thomas, I just, I just pray that we lean into that. And that we follow your instruction, your teaching. And we live with this sense of anticipation and optimism about being your church tomorrow. And so, Lord, help us. Lord, fill us with your spirit in a fresh way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.